0: I had a guy say to me this week, I'm glad we're done with Nehemiah. Uh, I said, why? He said, because I want to get back to the Gospel. But you know, the gospel's all through Nehemiah, but we're going to uh, today... In this third Sunday of Advent, look at a text that is used often at Christmas time by people, uh Christians, and uh, it's sometimes read in a flowery way and sometimes easy to even memorize a lot of the words that John tells us in his first chapter, but it's sometimes difficult to really ascertain and apprehend all that he's saying to us. So hopefully we'll begin to uh look at this and begin to uh, do both of those things this morning. John chapter 1. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, Glory glorious of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and mercy. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's right side. He has made Him known. Years ago, two guys were sitting at a bar in Cleveland. One says to the other, Where are you from anyway? And the man says, I'm from Cleveland. He said, really? I'm from Cleveland too. He said, where did you go to school? He said, I went to Central High. The man said, really? I went to Central High too? When did you graduate? I graduated in 1975. He said, you did? I did too. It's 1975. The guy says, well, where did you live he said, 1919 Hawthorne Court. 1919 Hawthorne Court. I can't believe it. I live there too. I grew up there. Just then the cell phone, ring, or cell phone of the bartender rang and it was his wife. She said, how's everything going? She said, oh, it's all right. The Smith twins are here again. They're drunk. <laughs> you know, when I come to uh, this chapter, I often think of that story years ago at Hebron, we had a read-through-the-Bible year. Before we did it, there was a woman who came to every Bible study that I led, and she always would make it clear to me, I'm not sure I believe all the doctrine in the Bible that you say is there. And I would say to her, why don't you believe it? And she said, because I'm not sure it's there. I said, why don't you read it? Read the Bible. You'll see that everything that we're talking about is in the Bible. So then, the year of the Bible came and she did it. And after a year, she came and she said, You know, you're right, it's all in the Bible. I still don't like it, but it's all there. And one of the texts that really came clear to her was this one John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. For most people, it's a pull text for Christmas. It's one of the four or five that are often brought out and read and it doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people because they've heard it over and over again, but they haven't really analyzed what John is saying there. You know, it's interesting, when John authors his gospel, the last of the four, he doesn't mention anything about angels or shepherds or mangers or wise men or even Mary and Joseph. In fact, what he begins with is a perfect summary of the gospel. And what that woman came to understand when she read that text again during that year was every one of the essential truths of the gospel are contained in these verses. In 1912, Harvey Penick began to caddy at Austin Country Club at age eight. Five years later, at age 13, he became the assistant professional, and at age 19, he became the head professional there at Austin Country Club, and he remained there for 65 years as the head professional. Of all the lessons he ever taught, there was one that was far more important than any other one, and he said it. In fact, it was this particular lesson that Ben Crenshaw thought about all through his last round in 1995 at Augusta during the Masters. Harvey says it this way in his little red book. After addressing the golf ball, hitting it has to be the most important thing in your life at that moment. Shut out all other thoughts, pick out a target, and take dead aim. That's exactly what john is doing in the first chapter of his gospel he's not hitting a golf ball he's talking about life and what he's saying here is there's one particular object that must be central to your life and his name is jesus and it's to him we must take dead aim i mean listen to what he says in the beginning was the word you know what that means What John is saying is, more important than all of creation is the incarnation of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He is saying the birth of Jesus Christ is more important than Genesis chapter 1 and the creation of the universe. Teresa of Avila once said, I wish that I could write with both hands so I wouldn't forget one thing while I'm saying another. And I think that's exactly how John feels as he writes He begins his gospel with the essence of the gospel. There's no shepherds, there are no angels, there's no manger, there's no wise men. He begins with the basic essentials of the faith. Now this is something that many people don't know. There are many biblical commentators, I mean conservative ones, erudite in their scholarship who will say, John chapter 1 was written after John wrote the other 20 chapters. He doesn't begin with, in the beginning was the word, he begins with chapter 2 and he tells us about Jesus turning water into wine and he goes all the way through 21 and then he comes back and he writes the prologue. In other words, what he's saying is, after I've told you everything about the life and ministry of Jesus, let me give you a summary. And here he summarizes four essential biblical doctrines that if we apprehend them, and we ask the Holy Spirit to get them all the way from our heads down to our hearts, it affects the way we walk with Jesus. So let's look at them. First of all, notice adoption. The Doctrine of Adoption, chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Do you see what John's saying? What John is saying is, because God became a man, we can become children of God. Paul says the same thing to the Ephesians in chapter 2. He says, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Now Paul uses the word adoption five times in his letters and he always means the same thing. And every Ephesian hearing that word adoption would know what adoption meant. You know what it means? Roman adoption meant that a father had absolute authority over his children. In Roman society, if a, ch- if a father wanted his child to die, he could kill them without any impunity. If he wanted to sell one of his children, he could do that without any negative consequence. If he wanted to adopt a child out of another father's family, he could do so. If that father was living, they'd make a mutual covenant together if that father had died he this father could adopt this orphan child as his own legally and you know what that would mean if you were adopted all rights and obligations that you had in your old family would cease if you were a criminal if you had, if you had committed crimes they would be totally expunged if you had any debt it would be absolutely removed It was as if you were starting all over again, an entirely new life, a totally new identity. And that's exactly what John means. To all who received him, he gave the power to become children of God. You know, years ago, a young man came to me and said, why do you say that not everybody's a child of God? I thought we're all children of God. I looked at him and smiled and said, that's what Oprah says. But that's not what Jesus says. All who received him gave he the right to become children of God. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in chapter 8 of John's Gospel, and he says, your father's the devil. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says, you are by nature children of wrath. You see, regardless of whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, we know the same thing. The Bible teaches the same thing. And that is, every person alive is a creature of God, but not every person is a child of God. You only become a child through the incarnated one who is Jesus Christ himself. Years ago, I knew of a woman who had spent 14 years in an orphanage. From the time she was born, the first 14 years, she didn't know any parent and she said, You know, I used to lay down to sleep and I'd always have the same dream. I dreamed that it was all a lie. I dreamed that I had a family. I dreamed that the head of the orphanage came to me and said, It's all been a great mistake. You have a father and mother who love you. In fact, your father is a king. She said, I had that dream almost every night. But then I'd wake up in the morning and realize it was just a dream, and I'd be sad. And then one day someone told me about Jesus and it began to make sense to me. And suddenly I came to know the truth. My dream was too small. I do have a fa- father. He's not just the king of a nation, he's the king of the universe. You know, there used to be a Bible or a bumper sticker back in the 70s that said God loves me but I'm trying to let it go to my head. You know what John would say? You ought to let it go to your head. You ought to let it go all the way down to your heart. You ought to come to recognize that you have the privilege of having a heavenly Father who loves you, has called you, and will never let you go. That's what it means to be adopted. John knows that. And then second, notice he talks about election here in verse verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See what he's saying? He's saying that just as Christmas has nothing to do with you, your salvation doesn't either. Martin Luther once said, if any man ascribes salvation even in the very least to his free will. He knows nothing of God's grace and has learned nothing of Jesus Christ that is right. St. Augustine once said, God shows us not because we believe, but so that we could believe. Charles Spurgeon once said, when I go into the pulpit, I don't come in hoping that someone will, by their own free will, turn to Christ. My hope lies in another quarter. I hope that my Master will lay hold of some who hear My words and say to them, You're Mine. You shall be Mine. I claim you for Myself. My hope arises not from the freedom of man's will, but from the freedom of God's grace. Free will has caused many to go to hell, but the free will of man has never brought anyone to heaven. You know, years ago in Fox Chapel, there was a family that adopted five little boys from Russia. They were all toddlers when they got over here to Fox Chapel. They're all graduated from, high, or from college now, and they're all in their careers. But just imagine, just imagine if you were to ask them, how did you get from Russia to Fox Chapel? And they all would say to you this, well, as soon as we were born, the doctor pulled out a map of the world and said, where do you want to live? And we chose Fox Chapel. What would you say to them? And that's what millions of people think has happened when they, about their faith or when they came to know Christ. Somehow they made a choice. They say, I chose to follow Jesus. And yet the, word, the verb elect means to be selected or chosen what John is saying is any choice that you've made to follow Jesus, any desire that you have for Him was the result of God choosing you first. His selection of you gave you the capacity to desire Him. Now put election together with adoption. And you know what John's saying? He's saying before God created the world, He selected you out of all of the fallen humanity. He selected you as one to redeem, to reveal Himself to you, to make you His child. John says it this way, You are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. And then third, notice the doctrine of Revelation. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, and only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. One time Mark Twain was in a little town where he was supposed to speak that night at a lecture. He got there early, so he decided to get a haircut and a shave, and he went to the barber shop, and he sat in the barber's chair, and as the man was shaving his face, he said, Are you new here? He said, Yeah, I'm just passing through. He said, Well, why are you here today? Twain said, Because I'm because I want to go to that lecture tonight. He said, Oh, that lecture. Do you have a ticket? I got mine three months ago. It's sold out. Twain said, No, I don't have a ticket. The man said, Well, if you can get a ticket and you can go, you're gonna have to stand to listen to Mark Twain speak. Twain said, Well, it's funny, every time I hear that man speak, I have to stand. Now, just imagine the barber's reaction when he gets there and he sees Mark Twain up there speaking. You see, when he's in his barber's chair and he was shaving his face and cutting his hair, he didn't recognize him. But now he's on stage and he listens to his voice and he says, Hey, that's the same man. That's revelation. That's exactly what happens to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Remember? They're walking away from Jerusalem because they think it's Jesus is dead and buried. They would hoped for a resurrection, it hadn't come, and so they're walking to Emmaus, and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up and walks alongside of them for a long distance, but they don't recognize Him. It's getting late, and they say to Jesus, why don't you come into our house? And He said, okay. And they sit down at a table and Jesus picks up the bread and he breaks it, and as soon as he breaks it, they recognize him. It's revelation. That's what John is saying here. No one will ever know Jesus Christ in his full identity unless Jesus reveals himself. You know what John would say to you? If you trust Jesus Christ, it isn't because you're so smart or because you're so perceptive. It's because he has chosen to reveal himself to you. You know, I know people in this church that have heard about Jesus Christ for decades, but it's only been in the last year where they've come to understand that He's their Lord. Why? It's the same word, it's the same preacher, it's the same room, the same sound system. But sometime in the past year, the Holy Spirit has opened their ears and their eyes, and they understand, because it's revelation. Then fourth and finally, notice the doctrine of justification. Look at verses 16 and 17. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now think of what John is saying here. He's saying that if you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to speak to God, your Father, speak to Him through the Lord Jesus. For from His fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Now, there are a number of ways to translate that. Sometimes translators say grace from grace to grace or grace for grace. But either way, what is being communicated here by John is that Jesus Christ has given us a grace that's a heap. He's given us a heap of grace. It's stacked up. It's not old grace. It's old grace, new grace, future grace. It's grace upon grace. It's never-ending grace. Now think about the law. The law was delivered by Moses once and for all. But it never belonged to Moses. It was delivered to us through Moses. It was God's own possession. But grace... Look what he says about grace. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In other words... Jesus didn't just gain grace and truth from the Father. He is the fullness of grace and truth. You know what that means? Everywhere grace, everywhere Jesus is present, grace will flourish and abound. Think of what the law says. This is what you must do in order to live. And whenever you get to the place where you really comprehend what God is saying, which is, here's my law, keep it and you will live, and you get to the place of absolute desperation because you know you can't keep it, that's when Jesus comes and says, I'll keep it for you. That's the truth of the gospel. Everything we need is in Jesus. Everything we must have is in Jesus. And the good news of His adoption and election and revelation and justification is Jesus has given it all to us by His grace. So I started this message with a bar. I'll end it with a bar. Last Saturday, not yesterday, eight days ago, Jim Alm asked if I'd go down to uh, the Boomerang Bar in Swissville for Hot Sausage Day. I'd never been to the Boomerang Bar, and I'd never, know, I'd never heard of Hot Sausage Day, but it turns out that there's a guy named Fred down there, who every year for about 25 to 30 years has offered free hot sausage sandwiches if you give a contribution to the children's uh, fund at Children's Hospital, free care fund. And so Jim asked me to go, and whenever Jim asked me to do anything, I usually say yes. And I say, yeah, let's go down there. So we get in the bar door, and it's packed. And a guy's sitting at the bar. and Hey Jim, I haven't seen you in years. It turns out that's a common occurrence. I mean, hey Jim, I haven't seen you in years. Half the people in that bar from Swissvale, they all know Jim because he grew up in the neighborhood. And so we get through all the mass of people and we meet see Fred and talk to him and then we take a seat at the table and after about five minutes, a guy comes up and says, Hey Jim, I just lost my wife a couple months ago. How do you do it? How do you cope with that? How do you make it through? When Holly went to be went died, how'd you do it? You know what my friend Jim said? You have to have faith. Now I was there a few. I was there about an hour, and about three or four people came up. I left, called Jim later, and he tells me that about twenty people came up to him, all with these kinds of stories. Jim, how do you do it? I have cancer. I lost my spouse. I lost my friend. How do you do it? Jim said, "Have faith." But that is not all. Jim will say. They'll say, "How do you have faith?" Jim says it's a gift. Just go to Jesus and ask Him for it. There in that barns was Phil. Jim Alm was able to share the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't say, have faith and be smart. He didn't say, have faith and do this or that. He said, have faith... Go to Jesus and be honest with Him. And He'll give you the faith you need. Harvey Penick taught golf for over 60 years. He said it many times. When you address the golf ball, that you have to clear your mind of all other thoughts. The most important thing in your life at that moment is making solid impact with that golf ball. Shut out all other thoughts, pick out a target and take dead aim. He's talking about hitting a golf ball. John's talking about living your life. He says it this way In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And it dwelt among us. In other words, take dead aim, shut out all other thoughts. Understand that living your life is all about looking to Jesus and receiving His grace. Now, I'd say that's a little more important than angels and shepherds and mangers, wouldn't you? That's the good news of the gospel. John doesn't write that first. He writes it last so that we wouldn't miss it. It's almost Christmas great time to think about that. Amen.